0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Milot, and I'm delighted to have you with us for a new episode of Essential Antitrust. ESG is an increasingly prominent focus area for boards and for C-suites, with companies all over the world setting ambitious sustainability targets. Now, in many cases, those targets could be more easily reached if companies cooperate with competitors rather than act alone. But that cooperation has to stay on the right side of the antitrust laws. Today, I have three colleagues with me to talk us through the role that antitrust will play in ongoing discussions about sustainability. First, joining us again is Nanette Dodu, who's a partner in our Beijing office, where she's the co-head of Freshfield's competition practice in China. Welcome back, Nanette. Hi, Jen. Delighted to be here again. Paul Vandenberg is a partner in our antitrust group co-located in Brussels and Amsterdam. Thanks for joining us, Paul.
1: Thanks, Jen. Delighted to, to be here today.
0: And finally, Maria Dreyer is a counsel co-located in our Vienna and Brussels offices, and she heads our Austrian competition practice.
2: Happy to have you with us, Maria. Thanks, Jen. Real pleasure to be here.
0: So let's kick things off. Nanette, if I could maybe start with you. Ten years ago, if someone had told me that sustainability would be a hot topic on the antitrust agenda soon, I would have been surprised, to say the least. But over the past couple of years, the role of antitrust in fostering sustainability has clearly moved more front and center on the agenda, both for competition regulators and for companies. What do you think is driving that shift? Well, thanks, Jen. Governments
3: and policymakers around the globe are basically seeking to tackle climate change emergencies and to implement ambitious sustainability goals. In China, for example, where I'm based, sustainability is a key policy priority with environmental policies set through to 2025 and climate targets aimed at achieving carbon neutrality by 2060. The slow pace of progress on ambitious goals set by various governments suggests that some sustainability goals can only be achieved through industry-wide collaboration due, for example, to jurisdictional limitations of government action first mover disadvantages or other market failures what this means is that companies across industries are therefore increasingly seeking to work together to drive and achieve sustainability objectives examples of cooperation agreements include joint research into less polluting technologies committing to minimum standards for manufacturing and agreeing to phase out less sustainable but cheaper products and replacing them with more sustainable alternatives. The risk is that such initiatives could negatively impact consumer choice and or prices in the short term and therefore fall foul of current competition laws. In this context, there is a growing recognition that antitrust law has a role to play and should promote rather than hamper sustainability initiatives. Thanks,
0: Nanette. And, you know, at first sight, Competition policy doesn't really seem to have a lot to do with a greener planet and and sustainability. And when you think about competition law, it's traditionally focused on protecting consumer welfare and usually looks at a more short and medium term timeline. And sustainability seems quite different from that in that it brings in a much broader set of constituents than just consumers. And it also requires taking a much longer term view than competition regulators typically take. So... Paul, what can you tell us about how regulators will bring sustainability into the analysis? Are we still talking about the existing playbook here, or is this potentially an entirely new set of analytical tools that's needed?
1: Yeah, Jen, I think you've hit uh, on probably uh, the key problem in the framework of analysis. So, as you say, traditionally, the approach by competition authorities has been to focus on consumer welfare. And in particular, to look at the effects of cooperation initiatives on prices in the near term for the direct consumers of the product or service concerned. And that narrow approach makes it quite difficult to get uh, joint sustainability initiatives approved, because as a result of the sustainability initiative, there may be a much broader benefits for wider society not limited to the direct group of consumers but if you can't take those benefits into account while the joint sustainability initiative does to some extent increase prices for direct consumers there is a problem and the the policy shift that we are now seeing which antitrust authorities are exploring is whether they want to become a bit more flexible and not only take into account benefits for direct consumers in the short term, but also the benefits for wider society, including over a longer term horizon. Some authorities are willing to go there, others are still more reluctant, but as you say, if that additional flexibility is provided, we need additional tools in order to quantify those benefits and how they stack up against the potential detrimental effects price-wise for direct consumers in the short term.
0: Thanks, Paul. And certainly you're right that there have been questions in the last few years about the consumer welfare standard, you know, not necessarily just in the sustainability context, but, but more broadly. Maria, are we seeing any concrete regulatory changes or policy coherence in this regard? Or is it all still in kind of thinking and consultation mode?
2: Yeah, that's a really good point, Chen. And I think it's fair to say that 2020 was the year of increased awareness and consultations on the interplay between antitrust and sustainability. And it's worth noting that several competition authorities in Europe have taken the lead on this topic and they have published draft guidelines and discussion papers. The aim of this was to invite views from the market on how competition policy can support sustainability objectives. But it's still is very much in flux and there's still quite a bit of debate around the concrete guidance that should be given. And to name just a few initiatives, the competition authorities of the Netherlands, of the UK, in Greece and in Germany, they have each published guidance to help businesses and industry associations with their self-assessment of sustainability corporations. And among these, especially the Dutch regulator has taken a very innovative approach by advocating for a broad interpretation of consumer benefits under the existing rules. And this that plays into the topic that Paul has mentioned just a second before on how to actually interpret the concept of consumer welfare.
1: Yeah, you're right, Maria. And and at the EU level, you obviously have the recently launched public consultation, which takes a somewhat neutral approach if you read between the lines of the document. But the commission is clearly open-minded. And then just a couple of weeks ago, there was the policy conference. And that consultation and the outcome of the conference will hopefully result in uh, further changes to the policy to be communicated in the course of this year.
2: Exactly, Paul. And I think it's fair to say that there is some guidance out there, but there are still a number of key questions that remain unresolved. And this very much relates to the concrete circumstances under which the positive impact of agreements could actually outweigh restrictive effects. And to list a few constellations, there are still questions around the phasing out of the most polluting products of companies' portfolios, for example, as part of certification processes. And while the benefits, for instance, of joint standard setting are generally recognized, there's uncertainty around binding commitments towards certain minimum standards. And some competition authorities have proposed to allow for more flexibility as we just discussed, but this currently very much focuses on industry initiatives around the protection of the environment. And that would not necessarily include other sustainability initiatives, like those relating to fair trade, to working conditions, human rights or animal welfare, which are all important objectives under sustainability considerations.
1: Yeah, it's clear that there needs to be a consistent and more harmonized approach across the, the different jurisdictions. And that's especially the case when you realize that many uh, joint sustainability initiatives will have cross-border effects. And in fact, those sustainability initiatives with the biggest sustainability benefits are usually cross-border initiatives to begin with. I would go as far as to say that we at least need a coherent approach at the European level. If the individual EU member states provide, in some instances, more flexibility, while others do not, then there is a serious question whether companies will actually benefit from that in a material way. The other point probably to make is that it's not just the authorities that need to come up with more guidance and a more coherent approach it is also essential for companies to engage with authorities and to now really bring the concrete initiatives that they want to discuss and have assessed by authorities. And in fact, we see that the authorities are repeatedly saying that they are getting insufficient real-life cases. And if I'm a bit skeptical, I cannot fully exclude that if those Real life cases are not brought to the authorities within the near term, the momentum that is currently ongoing in this policy debate may potentially fade. And there is actually a question whether a, a lot will in fact change in the end. So those real life cases are essential to bring forward.
0: And Paul, that last point you make is really interesting because in Europe it seems that you have regulators and governments really leading this debate and trying to get companies to engage. And it strikes me that that's quite different from the situation in the U.S. where a lot of the drivers around sustainability and other parts of ESG really have come from companies and from boards, where companies want to make certain commitments to reach sustainability goals. And of course, in the U.S., we're at the start of a new administration, and we've now rejoined the Paris Agreement and are considering the Green New Deal, so potentially we'll start to see more regulatory or legislative action in the U.S. in the next few years. But certainly the discussion is, is kind of coming from a different angle in the U.S. at the moment than seems to be the case in Europe. Nanette, what is the position in Asia? Do, do you see this same drive for sustainability to be at the center of the agenda? And if so, is that coming more from the regulatory side or is it coming from companies and from individuals? Well, that's a very interesting question, Jen. In the
3: Asia context, a focus on the interplay between sustainability and antitrust has yet to really fully take off, now, in the sense that we have yet to see the kinds of guidelines, position papers and consultations that Paul and Maria just mentioned earlier. Having said that, though, there are a number of antitrust authorities that are certainly alive to the debate via various international forums, such as the ICN or the OECD. And so I think what we're seeing in Asia is more akin to the position in the U.S., namely that initiatives are being taken at individual company level, possibly as part of own corporate responsibility targets, but also driven by some of the ambitious environmental targets set by individual governments in the region, such as China, which I mentioned earlier. Some authorities in Asia can also be expected to tighten or relax antitrust rules depending on what the governments think will help grow and sustain their economies and thereby use antitrust as a tool to develop sustainable growth. The response to the COVID-19 pandemic last year provides a good example of this. A number of antitrust authorities issued advisories suggesting the relaxation of the rules whilst remaining pretty tough on certain forms of conduct to help manage the health crisis. In the Philippines, for example, the jurisdictional thresholds for mergers was significantly increased and the authority's power to conduct ex officio investigations into mergers was also suspended for a year. Another example is China's toughened approach to digital platforms, which is aimed at encouraging a healthier development of the sector.
0: Thanks, Nanette, that's all really interesting. So Paul, looking ahead, you know, while we're waiting for some of these policy changes or more firm guidance to come from regulators, What are you advising clients who are looking at collaborating with competitors on green initiatives or sustainability initiatives?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jen. I think the key point to make there is companies should not wait for the guidelines and the change in policy to have fully crystallized. And in fact, I would go one step further echoing what I said earlier. It may actually not be achievable to get a really material policy change at the European level if companies now adopt a wait-and-see approach and do not step forward with these sustainability initiatives. Many authorities have invited companies quite explicitly to come forward with initiatives, so these authorities will be very willing to openly discuss initiatives also at an early stage of a project when it's just at an exploration stage still. Now, the way to approach these Projects is to very consistently and clearly articulate internally and vis-a-vis authorities, if there is an engagement with an authority, why the companies need to collaborate. That is probably the key element, because some authorities are quite sceptical in that respect and consider that companies, especially larger companies, should be able to achieve many of their sustainability objectives if they move forward on their own. So the the necessity to do something jointly is key here. At the same time, it's important to build up your evidence, which shows that the sustainability benefits will actually benefit current and future consumers. And then there is some scope to argue uh, how to include benefits for wider society beyond the, the group of direct consumers. The other risk factor to keep in mind is the flow of information. So, although companies should obviously be able to jointly explore these initiatives, care must be taken that it doesn't result in the exchange of competitively sensitive information. And there are uh, means available to avoid uh, risks in that area. And then the final point i would make is that it's also helpful if the sustainability benefits are actually quantified using economic tools so it may be advisable to involve an economist at a relatively early stage
2: yeah i I fully agree with that paul and with this opportunity to actively seek guidance from authorities, it will also be important for companies to plan ahead for this regulatory guidance process and consider engaging in a dialogue with the antitrust authorities. And competition authorities, as we mentioned, are actually inviting companies to seek case-specific guidance and they may in the end be prepared to issue comfort letters for the right cases, which will then provide more certainty and guidance to businesses, and this is similar to what we we've seen in the context of the pandemic around supply chain corporations between companies. Companies should really consider early in the process, whether to engage informally with enforcers and to ensure that they factor in enough time for such a process to also enable the regulators to seek any feedback from market players, for instance, to make them more comfortable and also to be able to implement feedback they receive on the parameters of the initiatives they propose and really to point that out now it's is really an opportunity to raise critical questions and make the regulators aware of that like is it really enough to have certain voluntary standards or shouldn't it be also possible to jointly commit on, for instance, greener production processes or to actually agree on a certain time frame for phasing out products that are most polluting and not just have voluntary commitments in, in that regard, but more binding standards to have an impact on the environment and other sustainability aspects?
0: So we've talked a lot about the risks and opportunities here vis-a-vis competition regulators around the world, but, but maybe a question for all three of you. Do you see risks outside of regulatory enforcement and intervention that companies need to look out for?
1: Yeah, perhaps I can jump in, Jen um, I, I think there's one particular risk that I would highlight, which I don't see mentioned often so far in the debates that are going on in the area of, of sustainability and antitrust. And that is the risk of civil litigation. Because you may have authorities like, for example, the Dutch authority, who want to promote a policy change and who are also willing to commit that they won't impose fines if their guidelines are followed in good faith. But that policy position as such doesn't bind national courts. So if you have suppliers or customers who feel that they are the victim of a joint sustainability initiatives that falls within the scope of the cartel prohibition, for example, because they are being confronted with price increases or because suppliers are excluded as they are not seen as sustainable enough, there is this risk of such third parties starting a civil court procedure and basically trying to to get compensated through that route. I think it just underlines the importance of getting a coherent policy change at the European level, which is supported by the Commission and then at some point hopefully also by the European courts, as that will carry a lot of weight also in the way national courts need to look at these initiatives.
2: And maybe to add another important issue that is gaining increasing awareness is um, concerns around greenwashing, meaning misleading or exaggerated sustainability claims made by companies. And this has become a real recent focus of competition authorities, for instance, in the UK and the Netherlands, who notably also act as consumer protection authorities. And while some regulators are willing to create more flexibility for sustainability initiatives like we already discussed, they are at the same time becoming stricter in policing sustainability claims which are not substantiated or which could be perceived as misleading. And it's really important to note that this goes beyond antitrust, in fact. It is overall very important for companies to be authentic. And it should not only be a focus for companies, therefore, to have a sustainability strategy, but also to have a communication strategy around all this. We see increased pressure towards transparency and disclosure and the tracking of sustainability claims. And that is not only true for regulators, but also a focus area, for instance, of impact investors. And that ties um, back in with what Chen mentioned before around developments in the US.
3: And just to add to your point, Maria, on substantiating sustainability claims, how companies document such claims will, of course, be very critical. Several authorities around the world already focus on internal documents when assessing the rationale behind a particular form of conduct and the effects of that conduct. So it'll be important that companies carefully document their sustainability claims, particularly to clearly articulate those claims, identifying and quantifying them in internal documents as these documents
0: will be scrutinized by the authorities. Thanks very much all. You know, we focused a lot on the horizontal cooperation aspects of this. But I'd be interested to hear if there are other areas of antitrust policy or other legislative tools that are being considered here to promote sustainability. Maria, is there anything else like that out there?
2: Yeah, it's a great point, Shannon, maybe to start with a few comments on state aid. So in Europe, generally, state aid rules govern the granting of public subsidies to companies. And these rules are notoriously strict, but they actually have already created some really good success stories when it comes to using antitrust rules for the promotion of green objectives, for instance, by directing state funds to various renewable energy projects. And the European Commission, notably, is currently reviewing the existing rules to allow for more aid for green projects and also aid being granted on easier terms. The legal framework for the granting of public support for green projects is becoming more and more favorable, and this provides a great opportunity for the raising of investment capital for companies. And focus areas, to just name a few, are at the moment hydrogen-based projects, energy-efficient building projects and the development of green batteries. The European Commission has just allowed funds of 3 billion by 12 different member states to go into the development of green batteries, as an example. But then on the other hand, the granting of state funds for less environmental-friendly users is likely to attract much more scrutiny. And we've seen it in the context of COVID recovery aid that was granted to Air France that the commission has tied a few conditions to that, for instance, relating to the termination of certain domestic flight routes by Air France in order to reduce the CO2 footprint.
3: Jen, another area that's worth mentioning is, of course, merger control. Uh, And interestingly, this has featured less prominently in the debate on sustainability and antitrust to date. In fact, only a handful of cases have raised sustainability issues, such as in relation to market definition or in the context of assessing competitive effects, notably incentives to innovate. At the same time, however, environmental factors are increasingly becoming a driver for companies' M&A strategy and rationale, and also, to some extent, investor activism in the M&A context. Uh, Clearly, the current merger control framework certainly accommodates sustainability considerations, and companies contemplating mergers with sustainability objectives, such as the ability to enhance sustainable trade, to cut emissions, or to develop more innovative technologies or products, will face similar issues and challenges, such as those that Paul, Maria, and myself just discussed earlier in relation to competitor collaborations. In the merger control context, I think the key challenge will be how one substantiates sustainability efficiencies, particularly absent clear guidance from antitrust authorities on what exactly they will consider when assessing efficiencies in this context. Antitrust authorities have generally set a very high evidentiary bar for establishing efficiencies. The evidence companies need to reduce must show that the efficiencies will benefit consumers are merger specific and can be verified and quantified with reasonable certainty. So the key question is how should this apply in the context of sustainability claims in the case of mergers, particularly where the anticipated efficiencies could limit innovation Take several years to materialize and or disproportionately affect some sections of society. So how should efficiencies be considered in this context? And what supporting evidence should be required? For example, should sustainability reporting frameworks be encouraged? Frameworks that seek to quantify, monitor and audit sustainability outputs. So these are some of the key questions where clear guidance will be welcome and where the debate should increasingly focus if sustainability is to impact merger control?
0: Well, thanks, Nanette. Those are uh, indeed interesting questions, and I suspect questions that we will all be thinking a lot about over the coming months and years. But for today, we're at the end of our time. So thanks very much to Nanette, Paul, and Maria for joining today to talk through what is a really fascinating topic. And thanks very much to our audience for joining us. As always, we're keen to hear your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for new episodes, so please stay in touch with us by email at essentialantitrust at freshfields.com. We'll be back with you next month with a new episode on the potential for increased merger litigation around the world, both with regulators and among merging parties. Until then, we'll see you next time with more Essential Antitrust.